Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this weekend. We are thankful that you have took time out of your busy schedule to join us again in the program. And uh, the last several weeks we have been sharing from uh, Matthew 6 and uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7 we're going to go into uh, this week. We actually have been sharing from the book of Matthew. I didn't start out for this to be a series. But uh, the more I kind of keep looking into the book of Matthew, the more I, I kind of want to just follow the whole theme of what's being said. Uh, if you have not uh, uh, followed what we've been teaching, you can go back at any time to our YouTube page, and you can watch on YouTube everything that we have aired to date. We normally shoot these in four to six uh, program segments, and uh, so they're there for your leisure to watch at any time you would like to. Also, you can go to our iTunes uh, feed. We have a podcast there, and you can listen to the audio portion of it uh, on your way to work or whatever. You can redeem the time because that's a good place to just download the podcast listen to the program, and uh, I think you'll be blessed to follow along with the theme of what we've been sharing. If you don't know how to do that, you can simply just go to our website because there is a link directly from my website at lenhouse.com, and of course that information will be on the screen as far as the location of the website, and you can go there, and there's a direct link that'll take you directly to our channel. You can subscribe actually to our YouTube channel if you cannot watch the these programs at a certain time of the day, and you don't have a way to record them. If you have any kind of a smart device, a iPad, iPhone, a uh, 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 even uh, uh, other kinds of smart devices, or even uh, a smart television, you can download uh, the YouTube app and simply watch us on your screen at home if you have a TV that you can do that too, or you can get a simple device called a Roku and download the channels. Uh, so uh, there's so many ways that you can get this, and then you could tell your friends that even are in other countries uh, that they could watch the YouTube feed, and if they say, well, we don't speak your language, our closed captioning on those sites, I believe, translates in every language around the globe uh, when you put it in and, uh, and you watch it through uh, the filter of the closed captioning feature. Uh, again, we just want to say thank you uh, to you, our faithful partners, for helping us take the gospel around the globe. I very seldom say very much about it, but we, we do need your help in order to do that. It, uh, uh, it, is, it is vitally important that, uh, you know, my dad used to say this. He said, what's a soul worth? And uh, he would always say that whenever we were dealing with, you know, uh, at that time, whether to charge for a youth camp or not, because we've never charged for our youth camps. And my dad would simply say, how much is a soul worth? What if somebody can't afford it? But we're thankful that uh, there are people who can give and that do give. And uh, we need your partnership. If you watch us continually and you appreciate what we're doing and you believe in what we're doing, uh, we ask you to get behind that and become a partner with us today. 
Uh, I very seldom say anything about it, but we also have a message of the month club that you could join, and it is $7 a month or $70 a year. And once again, you can go to that website and uh, sign up for it. And for $7 a month or $70 a year, you will receive a message every month of something we've done somewhere in the world that will be a great blessing to you, but it'll also be uh, a great blessing to us to be able to help take the gospel around the world. So why not do that today? Why not become a partner with us today? Uh, let me get into the Word today. We very seldom spend much time talking about that kind of stuff, but uh, sometimes I need to do that. But we're going to go back to the seventh chapter of Matthew, and we're going to begin to look at a few things today uh, from this text. This whole series is really from Matthew 5 on through several places through the Scripture. It's really part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It is really Jesus introducing, if you will, uh, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. He is transitioning them from the law. If you go back and listen to some of the other segments we've done, uh, Matthew 5 especially, he's dealing with moving from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. Matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is what those four gospels are about, is moving from a from a old covenant uh, paradigm to a new covenant, kingdom-based form of government. Uh, you know, there was when I first started preaching grace, all right, you know, there's so many, it goes by so many different titles. Uh, you know, some call it the gospel of grace, some call it, uh, they call it the finished work, some call it new covenant. It's terms that are dealing with a lot of the same things, but really the gospel of the kingdom, in my opinion, is like the umbrella that covers all of it. The gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of salvation. It includes faith. It includes the message of grace. It includes all of it. It's all inclusive. I think one of our problems is that we specialize on certain areas and, and to the exclusion of others. And I know what, what, what happens is, is that the Lord is, is putting an emphasis on something. And so we kind of get on that rabbit trail and we chase that. And that's, that's good because that's what God is emphasizing in our spirit. But uh, when Jesus began to teach the gospel of the kingdom, you know, we were sitting this morning at breakfast, for instance, before the uh, uh, camera crew and us came in here uh, to do this, uh, uh, this filming. And one of the things we were talking about is how that, you know, many times when we hear things like the gospel, we hear, you know, like the gospel of the kingdom or uh, you know, when Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand or John the Baptist would say that. I, I think what's really sometimes missing in the, uh, in, in, in the American church at least is that when we think about the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, we think about a planet somewhere off in the distant future rather than the coming form of government that Jesus was introducing. He was introducing uh, in other words, he was declaring to them, especially John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist starts in Matthew 3. He says, repent, which means change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within your grasp. He said that 2,000 years ago. So the kingdom was within their reach, and then Jesus comes on the scene and begins to teach that the kingdom of God is within you, that it's not a distant place, but it's something that lives inside of you. And so... Uh, it is actually the government that replaced the government of the law. Uh, the government of law was rules on rocks. The government of the kingdom flows out of relationship. I've shared this 
prior segments, but it's well worth repeating. But I believe it is in Second uh, Corinthians, I believe it is chapter 3 or 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I forget exactly which one. It says it like this in the King James, for if the government, well, this is how it says it in the message, but for if the government of death chiseled on stone had a glorious inauguration, uh, then it goes on to say, if this, if this government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? So the old covenant was a government that told you what was wrong with you. It condemned you. But the government of the kingdom is a government of affirmation. It tells you what's right with you and how God made you to be right. And it is the government that replaced the government of the law. I believe so many people have jumped on the bandwagon of preaching, and it's wonderful, have jumped on the bandwagon of preaching freedom from the law, that we're not under the law of Moses. That was an old covenant. The new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It's a brand new covenant. But when they did, they preached freedom from the law and repentance from, you know, changing your mind from an old covenant paradigm. Uh, but they didn't teach what you turned toward. But when we turn, you see, the, the word repent is a Greek word, metanoia, which means to change the way you think. And so we preached and emphasized a lot about what you turn from, but maybe not what we've turned toward. So we've turned from law, but we've also, our hearts have turned toward the Lord. Corinthians says that again, when our hearts shall turn toward the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Uh, you know, when we turn toward Him, we turn from a government of condemnation, but we turn toward a government of affirmation. We turn from a government that's based on rules on rocks, but we turn toward the Holy Spirit being the internal governor that governs in our lives. But so many times we, we think in terms, and, and it's easy, I do it myself, I default back to sometimes my, uh, my old roots where when I think about the term the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we think about, well, I'm going to go to heaven one of these days. Now let me say before you panic on me that I do believe there's a heaven, and I believe that's part of the package of redemption. But what Jesus was talking about Matthew 5, 6, 7 in Beatitudes, even through more of these chapters, he is introducing the gospel of the kingdom, and he's telling you uh, what is going to replace this old bankrupt system of, of law. It's called the kingdom of God. And even uh, when we think, see, the kingdom was invading the earth. The kingdom was coming. And we've kind of, I think we probably covered that pretty well in some of our prior segments. But again, you know, he prays in just the chapter before this where we were dealing with this, thy kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. And the whole question there was, if a son will ask for bread, will he give him a stone? If a son will ask, Jesus was a son. And I believe if you'd ask anybody, do you believe if Jesus prayed, God would answer his prayer? Probably everybody listening to my voice there would say, yes, I believe God would answer his prayer. Well, I believe God answered Jesus' prayer. I believe the kingdom did come. I believe that it's a present reality, and it's an ongoing reality. It's an ever-increasing kingdom. But when he prayed the kingdom, what he was talking about was the kingdom of God was once again invading the earth. Well, I'm not getting to my main text here this, this, today, but I think this is very powerfully important. I think all through the Scripture, one of the things that we must see is that God was always interested 
and coming to dwell with us and coming to inhabit us and to, to, to have a, a personal relationship with us. You know, when you think about, uh, for instance, the Garden of Eden and you think about the Garden of God, in the very beginning, uh, the garden was like God's sanctuary. In the midst of the earth, God plants a garden. It's almost, if you look at the temple that God uh, tells Moses to build in the temples throughout the history of the Jews, even on their curtains and on their doors was embroideries like the embroideries of a garden. So it's like a, the tabernacle is like a picture of a garden. One of the things uh, uh, that I saw, you know, with uh, the book of Genesis especially, is that this garden was planted in the middle of the earth, and God put a man in his image and in his likeness right in the middle of that garden and says to the man, have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And so that man, as God's vice regent, was to take what was in that garden and begin to export it to the rest of the earth so that he could fill the earth with heaven's influence. Uh, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, it said thus, or I'm sorry, not chapter 1, but in uh, uh, chapter 2, it, I believe it is chapter 2, Genesis said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. I always like to say it like this, right in the middle of a finished work, God plants a garden. And he says to the man, just be a steward, guard and keep the garden. And you know, I wasn't going ahead this way, but I really feel the Holy Spirit to do it a little bit this morning, uh, that we are to be, you know, stewards of the things of God. Let me, before I, I know I was going to turn to Matthew 7, but I'm going to, I'm going to just follow the flow of the Spirit here this morning. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. I was uh, coming down an elevator in New Jersey, and the Lord uh, really dropped this, uh, this scripture in my heart. Uh, and, 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 I thought, and it just blessed me, because I, the Lord said to me, you can't earn grace, but you can steward it. And I mean, the Lord sovereignly spoke that to me, stewards of the grace of God. And I thought, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but I, is there a scripture for that? And I got back up to my room and I started to put it in my concordance. And sure enough, 1 Peter chapter 4, let me read this to you in verse 10. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. This is the New King James Version. Minister it to one another. As good stewards, watch this, of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God has supplied, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. So here all of a sudden I begin to see something. He said that as, 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 each, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the favor of God is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. You didn't earn the favor of God, but you can steward favor. And I got to thinking about this because I got to thinking, you know what? If, if, uh, if, if, if grace is, it's a blanket statement favor, which it is. God favors those who, you know, the believers, those who are in Christ, the manifold grace of God is on us. The grace of God 
teaches us to deny ungodliness. Grace is a teacher, but I'm after something particular here. When, and, and, and see, a lot of people have reduced the message of grace uh, to simply prosperity, and that's part of it. Prosperity is part of it, but this is manifold grace. When I think about manifold, I'm thinking about manifold grace. So God's favor is on His people, it's on His sons. No question about that. But I go to churches and I say, well, Lord, if favor is on everybody, how come you got this guy's rich and this guy's not? And you got this guy that seems to be doing well, and this guy who seems to be doing... And the Lord simply said to me, the favor is equal. I equally favor them, just like you would equally favor your children, perhaps when you give them an allowance or whatever. But he said, their stewardship of the manifold grace of God determines a lot of times their condition. In other words, there are people who steward finances better than other people steward finances. I think we've tried to just make blanket statements, you know, even about finances and uh, even with people who give. That's part of stewardship. But there are people who give who are not good stewards of the manifold uh, blessing of God or the grace of God. I've seen people who make the same amounts of money, who make bad choices, and, uh, uh, you know, they're broke a little later on in life or just very shortly, and I've seen people take less money and build wealth with it. So sometimes I believe it's part of a whole stewardship of the grace. And you say, well, give me an example, uh, Dr. House. And so I would say to you, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, and the Lord God blessed them. That's favor. That's the blessing of God pronounced on Adam. But then he says to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. I think about Abraham, whom God blessed him, and he said, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So I would say this to you, you are blessed to be a blessing. And I still believe, I think one of the things that's drastically dropped off in some areas of grace churches is the area of giving. And while I, you, if you follow our ministry, you know we don't talk a lot about finances, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's having me say some things today about it. Uh, but you know, uh, it has fallen off to the place where I've seen several churches close because, uh, you know, of, the, of, 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 of teachings that I believe are somewhat erroneous concerning giving. Now, I, you can be manipulated and you can see people that you got all kinds of cons. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, though, that if you are blessed, you are blessed to be a blessing. And I'm talking about stewardship of the mystery. Because here's, cut through all the doctrinal fat of should we, under the new covenant tithe, should we not under the uh, new covenant tithe. I, I first of all would say to you, I don't believe you're cursed if you don't. But I believe that Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek served him bread and wine. His response was to give tithe. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of tithing. I simply would say this to you. I am a covenant giver myself. I don't believe I'm under a curse. I'm not being coerced or, or uh, pressured to do that. But I also believe that outside of uh, even the doctrinal argument of tithing, not tithing, outside of that, here, bottom line, let me cut through the fact and say this. What you don't support goes away. I don't care if it's your baseball team. I don't care if it's your local church. Uh, I don't care if it's your local PTA. If you don't support it, it goes away. It's that way with Christian television. It's that way with our program. It's that way with your local church, your pastor, or any of the programs that you might have. Uh, you know, if it's not supported, 
it goes away. And what I really believe God wants to do is send a real awakening to the hearts of believers under grace where they become what I call cheerful givers. Uh, there's three dimensions of giving that Paul talks about in that particular chapter. He says we do not give grudgingly. Uh, that's where you, you're writing your check for $22.30 because you've been taught not to beat God out of a penny, but you're not going to give it. But you're giving it, you know, with squeezing it and pinching it. But, uh, and then the second dimension is uh, not of necessity. Uh, in other words, it's a giving because we need to receive something, and it works that, in that dimension. That's the second dimension of giving. We don't give grudgingly. That's first dimension. We don't give of necessity. That's second dimension. But the third dimension of giving is God loves a cheerful, quick-to-do-it-giver. What God, I believe, wants to do is awaken in the hearts of people the joy of giving. And see, even prior to the covenants of law, God made this promise. He said, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest time. So, you know, even the apostle Paul, you know, in the new covenant says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he will also reap if you sow sparingly. You're going to reap sparingly. Uh, God is not mad with you if you don't sow. Uh, but, if, you, know, it, uh, he, you know, he still loves you. His favor's on you just as much. But to me, that ought to be a real incentive uh, to begin to uh, do some things in the area of stewardship because if I'm under the blessing of God, then I've got a covenant partner called God who's going to make sure I'm blessed so I can continue to be a blessing. And the Lord God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. I think that you see the promise of God to Abraham. And, you know, uh, he said that, that you're going to be a blessing, and, to you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessing, blessed. And according to the book of Galatians, you and I are the seed of Abraham, and we are to be a blessing to the nations. And so, you know, when we begin to find this stewardship, of the manifold grace of God, the favor of God is on us. So what am I going to do with this favor? Well, the purpose of it is to see the kingdom established because the kingdom that we're talking about here was not just, uh, you know, was not just going to heaven one day. It was the kingdom and the government of heaven invading the earth right then when he was introducing the new covenant. It was a new form of government. See, a lot of times when we think about some of these scriptures, we get on down through here, even in Matthew, we're going to see some places where he talks about some things that we thought was about going to heaven, and it really wasn't talking about going to heaven. It was talking about the life that we now live. And I, I was listening to uh, uh, s some books that I, I, I like to listen to N.T. Wright, some, and some of his writings, and, and uh, you know, he just made some statements. He was talking about even the whole idea of eternal life. Yes, that includes going to heaven. But eternal life was more than just going to heaven. It was to know the Father and to come into relationship with the Father so that out of that relationship, again, there would be an outflow just like there was in the Garden of Eden that would be an outflow. And he was saying, he made some statements about eternal life. He said, actually, the word eternal there, and I, you know, I've, I've known this too, but it really rang in my spirit because I have said this myself, but it really made a ring in my spirit that eternal life is the, from the Greek word that deals with age, aeon or eon. And he was talking about the life of the coming age. Not just when you get to heaven again, I'm not taking anything from that, but the life, there was an age that was passing here in the first century. And Jesus was introducing a kind of a life that was coming in the age to come 
The age to come was this new covenant age of mercy and grace that we now stand in and that he was offering to us eternal life, yes, that includes going to heaven, but it also included the quality of life that exists right now in the universe in a relationship with God as we walk this, if you will, horizontal plane of earth in the kingdom of God right now. And so, so many times again through the scripture, God was always trying to create, this garden was like a sanctuary. His supply his presence, wanted to be with them. He wanted to walk with them in the cool of the day. Of course, you know, Adam lost that dominion. God restores that when he told Moses, let them build me a house so I can dwell among them. And out of that house, it was the centerpiece. It was the Bethel. It was the gate of heaven. It was where heaven and earth met together. Uh, and, and as you go through the scripture, you see all these different temples, but then you get into, um, you know, uh, the gospels and you see Jesus turn around and say, listen, uh, you know, uh, you tear this temple down and I'll raise it back in three days. And he wasn't talking about that physical building. He was talking about the temple of his body. And then we come a little further in the new scripture and we find out God's not interested necessarily in a building anymore. That was a picture of where the presence of God rested. But in the new covenant, you and I are the temple of God. We are the house of God. We are the Eden of God. We're where the finished work is at. We're God's garden. We're God's husbandry. This is where heaven and earth meet. It is the Bethel. We are the house of God. And it is out of this house that God still is desiring somebody to export what's in this garden, to export the favor, to export the light, to export the water. There's a river that flows out of this sanctuary temple of God in Revelation. There's a river that flowed out of Eden, and there's a river that flows out of our bellies. The divine supply and the divine source is really, uh, you know, what I believe is within us as we steward these things, we become stewards of the mystery. We become stewards of the grace of God. We become stewards of the manifold wisdom of God. So we are stewarding the things of God so that we can literally fulfill the call of God to disciple nations. Listen, this is way bigger than just going to heaven, and I'm not taking that from you, but this is about doing something in the earth to see the kingdom of God come, and that's what Jesus is talking about, Matthew 5, 6, 7, through the Beatitudes. He's introducing the kingdom, and he's talking about what replaced that old covenant paradigm is a new covenant called the kingdom of God, and it's a massive paradigm shift, I believe. Uh, So, you know, we become stewards of the grace of God. I didn't intend to go this direction, but since I have, let me just say as we come to the close of this program, those of you who watch us and you appreciate what we're doing, why not get behind us? Or if not us, somebody, but get behind something that you believe in and become stewards with us. Help us export the gospel. We need your partnership, and you can call the number on the screen or go to our website. But if you want to sign up just to become a regular monthly partner, we could sure use your help, and we would deeply appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Tune in again next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, This book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. 
Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.